Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, glad that you're here today and back for week two of our series, uh, The Better Life Project. Uh, how, how's your weekend been so far? That's not very convincing. Uh, Mine was uh, pretty good. Uh, I actually went over to a concert. It started out on Friday, went over to a concert in eastern Washington. And uh, just, you know, it's a great view of life when you travel, isn't it? I was in Ellensburg, uh, and there was a man there who was walking his cat, which I've seen people take their cats out before, but he had his cat on a leash, like with a harness. And I was thinking, hey, man, if the cat loves you and is off the, he will stay. And if not, you don't have a cat anymore, you know? I mean, uh, so that's what I was thinking as I was looking at that. I went to uh, the John Mayer concert, and, you know, he's a little strange, but it was a good concert out at uh, uh, the Gorge. And uh, again, people are a little weird. There's signs telling people what they should not be doing things they should not be smoking. Yet, as I'm watching the concert, there's plumes coming up in front of me. And I'm like, you know, and no, it wasn't me, although I was close. I don't know if I could pass a drug test. But it was, uh, it was one of those things like, hey, just I'm trying to watch the show. And there's those little annoyances in life and those little funny things that... Uh, that we look at and we can, you know, have fun and say, okay, I don't have patience for that. Yet there's those greater moments in life when people are, are really facing a challenge. And we have to look not to uh, the world out there or some group. We get a sense that God is calling us to do something. God is calling us to be part of the solution uh, in someone else's life. And in the Better Life Project, really it's based on Micah 6.8, and we're looking at this verse that describes really what the good life is on God's terms. And it says this, it's a little bit counterintuitive, uh, Micah 6.8, says, He has shown you, O mortal, or some uh, verses say, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Well, we looked this first, uh, the very first week at what it means to act justly. And today, I want to look at the second part of that, uh, what it means to love mercy. And I think it can, uh, there can be a lot of confusion over what, what that is and what it isn't. There's two aspects to loving mercy. One would be uh, forgiveness. And uh, if you were on the Redmond campus, we heard a message a few weeks ago from Pastor Dave Nelson talking about forgiveness. And so I want to focus on the other aspect of this, and that's really compassion. And uh, what, what compassion is and what compassion isn't. Uh, the first thing, and this is your first fill-in, uh, compassion isn't just feeling bad. 
Uh, it's not saying, oh, I, I'm sorry someone's going through something. Uh, there's more of an active engagement in that. My, my, uh, one of my daughters, when she was very little, uh, we were watching uh, television. And you know those uh, shows or those commercials that come on uh, for, for the uh, Hannah Animals shelters that are, and you know, Sarah McLaughlin in the background, and it shows all the animals and the suffering they're going through? Well, my daughter is like, Dad, we're going to do something about this. And she uh, had a, had, she's, and she did. She said she's organized her friends into a car wash to uh, send money, and she really did, pulled it off. And uh, so I'm like, honey, I'm so proud of you. And she said, well, do you need your car washed? And I said, no, honey, I just had my car washed. She said, she said we're also taking donations. And I'm thinking, this kid is good. Uh, and then uh, she doesn't miss a beat, and she goes, would you like to make a donation, Dad? <laughs> and so she, was, uh, she saw a need, and we can, really we think about childlike faith. It's a lot like that, isn't it? We, we see a need, and we're saying, okay, God, I'm available. But then life goes on, and we get busy. Uh, we, have, we can get on overload. And we start to view life myopically with just our issues and our problems. But God says that the good life is really when we, when we love mercy, when we show compassion. It's also not just an outsourcing problem. Oftentimes as we think of uh, compassion, well, you know, there should be the government or the United Way or something like that. There's, there's some things that I believe that the church, followers of Jesus Christ, we're uniquely equipped to do, uh, not that it's not great that other people, even people who don't share our faith, help people, that's a good thing. But there's something unique that we can do. I, I was listening to the director of the Tacoma Rescue Mission, which, by the way, through your generosity, we support financially and have people who volunteer down there, uh, too, as well as some of the other organizations that really deal with homelessness. And he, and he was talking about uh, what they do is they provide primarily housing. And he said, though, housing doesn't solve the problems for the people we're serving. And I'm like, well, you know, you're a homeless shelter and you provide housing. I thought that's why we gave you money. And he goes, no, it, and he was talking and he was like, no, it's not enough. And he described a, a young man who his family was on the margins and uh, they were in an apartment and they couldn't afford to pay the rent and the landlord, he, he lived on site as well. And uh, sort of a, a creepy guy and this young man, when he was a young boy, teenager, started making advances towards him and sort of saying, if you want your family to have a place to stay, then... And so, so he kept his family housed for several years, and it tore apart at his soul and finally went out on the streets, and you can imagine the decisions that someone would make after suffering something like that. And uh, as he was speaking, the director of the Coma Rescue Mission, he, he was saying, housing is not just what he needs. 
He needs the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that he is valuable and that he can have a fresh start in life. And that where there's the, the truth of God and the power of God. And so I think it's important for us to understand there's some things that God has equipped us to bring to the table. And it's not just good intentions either. Uh, my, my mom always said the road to you know where is paved with good intentions. Any of your moms ever say that? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you think about it. In fact, psychologists, they, they describe something that's called the intention-action gap. Uh, this, is, this is something that everyone faces at some level, is that we have the intention of doing things, but our actions can be uh, somewhat different. In fact, it's interesting, corporations, uh, you, they don't really depend on surveys that much anymore. They used to do surveys, and that used to be how they would make decisions. Uh, because, for example, Netflix used to do this. If you remember when Netflix uh, first came out, uh, they would say, hey, what kind of shows do you like to watch? And uh, they don't do that anymore. Uh, because people would say, oh, I, I want to watch historical dramas or documentaries. And so, you know, they say that they're going to watch uh, a, a documentary on Napoleon, but they end up watching Napoleon Dynamite, which, uh, by the way, is not the same thing, just in case you're unsure. Uh, and so, there was a gap between their, their intention and their action. And so, Netflix net will never ask you, they don't even care for, uh, for you to ever fill out a survey. They just say, what do you actually do? And then they assume you're going to do more of that. I mean, you think about it. How many of you, this is, uh, uh, how many of you remember way back? So McDonald's, there's uh, the uproar, McDonald's food is not healthy. It's like, that's why I eat there, you know, because <laughs> it tastes awesome. And, uh, but there was this uh, uh, uproar, hey, there needs to be healthy food. They did survey, and it said overwhelmingly what Americans wanted was a healthy cheeseburger. And uh, they did. It was, it was this, the results were in, and they came up 1991. You remember uh, what it was called, the McLean? It was only around a few months, so you would have missed it. Uh, you know, they, they lay, the press called it the McFlopper because no one wanted to eat a McLean. Uh, which, by the way, it was literally held together uh, with seaweed as well. I mean, hard to believe why no one would want to eat that hamburger, right? Uh, and, and so people said they wanted to eat healthy, but they went for the double or for the Big Mac, right? And so our intentions and our actions, there can be a gap. Here, here's one of the things I make this assumption. I try to assume positive uh, about people. I assume people want to, in general, do the right thing. If you're a Christ follower, I assume. You want to follow God. That is in your heart. And if you're not a Christ follower today, that you're, you're on that journey and you're saying, hey, I want, to, I want to find out what that would look like. But the truth is, uh, there can be this gap uh, between what we intend to do and what we do. And so here's what our love mercy goal is uh, for, uh, for today. Our love mercy goal is to help uh, resolve the intention-action gap. 
that we will not just intend to love mercy, and no one's against mercy, right? No one's against compassion, uh, but that we will actually work to fill that gap. It's a true story. Um, just this last week, my, uh, one of my daughters was home and uh, had a little bit of a crisis. Uh, give you the long version of it uh, up front, or I'm going to try to shorten it. We have a, a screen door, and the screen door has a little rip in it. You've had a rip in your screen door before, right? Well, my dog, who weighs about 100 pounds, found that convenient, and so he made it a bigger rip. Uh, and then uh, I, I have intended to fix it, but then again, it is a very convenient doggy door at the same time. <laughs> a little embarrassing when people come over, uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's our, our makeshift doggy door there. Uh, and it, it became a problem, and uh, it, it became a priority to fix because my daughter uh, was calling in desperation. She called me three times, my wife three times, and uh, neither of us picked up because we like to teach her self-sufficiency. No, we were actually uh, doing other things. And what had happened is a bird had walked through that into the house. And now the bird is flying all around the house and all of that. She can't get a hold of her parents who are trying to teach her self-sufficiency. And uh, so she does. She's so smart. First thing she does, uh, someone asked me, oh, what'd she do? Try to catch it? No. She goes right to the computer, wiki how, how to catch a bird in your house. <laughs> Not kidding. And uh, so uh, she did that. And uh, it said, what you do is you close all the blinds, and just leave the one door open that you want, the, or window the, you want the bird to go out of, and it'll see the light, and it'll go through there, which is a totally perfect plan, except when we bought our house, we have these little windows that I said, it would be a waste of money to buy blinds for. No one can see in those windows, which uh, was not very helpful uh, during this whole thing. So anyway, long story short, her, her boyfriend comes over, and then they're both, they're, they're like, come, little birdie, we're not trying to hurt you. And they're being so kind and gentle. And I kid you not, a half hour into it, uh, they still can't get the bird. And so instead of, come, little birdie, we're trying to help you, they say to my golden retriever, Jack, get the bird. <laughs> well, he's a big guy. He couldn't get the bird, which is good if you're the bird. Uh, so uh, anyway, long story short, uh, the bird uh, flies into the same window four times, probably tired of the misery it's enduring, and uh, it gets a little wobbly, and it just sits there on the windowsill. Her boyfriend grabs my wife's dish gloves and grabs the bird and sets the little birdie free and then throw away the dish clubs because he's a good kid. So, uh, and it's sort of funny, though, as she was describing and telling the story, that first it was the intention was just, just help the poor little birdie. And then it was, birdie, if you don't make it, that's okay, but I don't want you in the house anymore. And, and we can get, we can hit these points of frustration, really, honestly, mostly with the people we love, the people we're closest to, and when they fail, sometimes we're like, okay, it's just been too many times. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he messed up big way. And just, just, just uh, in the last number of couple weeks. And uh, at the end of it, you know, talking and, 
and praying and helping him. And he said, thanks for not making me feel any more ashamed than I already am. And he was saying, thank you for giving me a hope that's God's hope. He said, not in so many words. And, and I think that's what compassion is and where it needs to begin. In fact, it's sort of funny, as we think of uh, God, uh, especially in the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament, people will say, well, you know, there's the God of judgment, and Jesus is the God of mercy. But I want you to check out this verse in Psalm 116. Uh, It says this, it says, the Lord is gracious in righteousness. Our God is full of compassion. Will you underline full of compassion? And we're called to reflect that as well. Henry Nouwen, uh, in uh, his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, A Story of Homecoming, it's actually he's uh, reflecting on a painting about that very famous story in the Bible. He says, usually when people see the, the story of the prodigal son, they, they identify right away with either the son that blew it, that went away, that failed in sin, or the other son who's maybe has done everything right and is feeling a little bit judgmental about the son who, who blew it. And he said, there's a point in a Christ follower's life, not that we can ever be God, we can't, but we're to look at life from God's vantage point and as much as we can and follow him, that we're the ones that take on the responsibility to extend grace, to extend compassion. And I would say, especially if you're here and you say, hey, I've been a a follower of Jesus for a little while, this is one of the highest callings that you can ever have in your life. So what does that look like? I want to do something again, uh, which is counterintuitive from a Bible study standpoint, is I want to look, go to the Old Testament, the part where people say hey, it never talks about compassion. It actually does a lot. It talks about mercy and compassion. And I want to look at uh, just practically uh, what that looks like and maybe some help for us as we, as we go through life and try to do that. Active compassion is, uh, one, it's a warning before it's too late. It's a warning before it's too late. We read in Jeremiah uh, 6.8 where uh, the prophet is warning the nation of Israel. They're, They're going down the wrong path. He says, take warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn from you and make your land desolate so no one can live in it. You might think, well, that sounds harsh. That sounds like judgment. No, that's really mercy. I mean, is it more loving to just let something happen or to say, hey, you might watch where you're, where you're going. Maybe, let me make this personal. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you feel like it's, It's coming to the end of something. It could be at your workplace and you say, I'm just tired of it, I'm gonna quit. And you've never had an honest conversation. You've never said, 
hey, this is too much, or I'm not sure if I'm a right fit. And you'd rather just make the decision instead of have the conversation. Compassion is when you say, hey, can we talk about this? I, I know people who literally would rather, and not by their, what they would tell you, but just by actions, would say, I'll go ahead and file for divorce before I'll go see a therapist on a regular basis. And one is, is hey, I want the pain to end, and I get that. But the other one is saying, hey, it looks like we're getting towards the end of something, and I want to warn you before it's too late. Maybe you feel uh, it's like an addiction, and they're cutting ties. Uh, what in the recovery world, they call that an intervention, where someone will, uh, maybe it's family and friends, usually families, friends, even employers, will come together and say, you're torpedoing your life. Of course, people can learn when they hit rock bottom. In the recovery world, we know that, that if you hit rock bottom, then oftentimes people can choose to change. But an intervention is saying, I don't want you to have to go there. And it's a warning before it's too late. And we, we see this all over the Bible, where God will come to a group of people, he'll come to an individual, and especially in the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament, and he'll say, hey, this is not going to go well for you if you keep on going this way. Probably one of the most famous is uh, the book of Jonah. Uh, and, and people, you know, there's a lot of mythology around that. But it's a, it's a book of uh, incredible miracle, and you probably know that Jonah is a prophet, and he's to go to Nineveh and tell him uh, that destruction's going to come, and he uh, runs away from God, and he's swallowed by a big fish, and uh, then his nose grows, and he becomes a real boy. No, no, that's not how. But for some people, that's what you think it is, right? Uh, You know, mixing these up with Pinocchio. No, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. People say, well, no one can survive if if they're inside a fish. Absolutely. That's why it's called a miracle. If you try it, if you say, hey, I'm going to see if I can survive inside a whale, you won't. Uh, Not a good thing to try. So there's this miracle, and we focus on that, but the real power in the story is really what the message that God was sending uh, to the people in Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul, Iraq, and there was uh, the Assyrian Empire uh, was vicious and cruel. I mean, to describe the way they would treat people when they took over men, women, and children, taking their lives, torturing them. Uh, and so God says, tell him there's going to be destruction. And so uh, Jonah, he's like, okay, he goes and he tells him there's going to be destruction. And guess what happens? The worst people in the world, the worst people in the world, they're like, okay, we're not going to live this way anymore. And they repent and they change directions. Do you know Why? Because God said, uh, I want them to know what's coming. Whenever he does that, there's always a second chance. If you ever ha- have, have felt that, that God is saying, oh, you shouldn't be going down that road. You know what he's doing? He's expressing his love to you. 
Now, Jonah, who's, who was a whole other character, uh, he didn't like it. He didn't like God's mercy. In fact, it's sort of funny. I find this, uh, it, it said, when God relents and doesn't send the calamity, it says, but this seemed very, uh, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Uh, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And he's mad. He is. He's mad. He's like, God, I want you to take him out. Why can't you hate the people I hate? And God, uh, he, he says, don't you see all the people? That every, you know, essentially every one of them matters. And so God will give us a warning when we're going down a wrong path. And I think that's important for us to to emulate as well. Not that we're the judge for everyone, but it's more coming alongside. And then there's practical help as well. Practical help now. Uh, this is where we see someone who seems lonely and we try to help them out or someone who's frazzled because of their kids and uh, maybe you offer to watch those little blessings for them or someone who has a financial need and you say, God, uh, I want to be part of the solution. It's interesting, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're known for primarily their sexual sin and their cruelty but uh, one of the prophets, he says this. This is the judgment against him. It says, now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. And part of God being the leader of our life is that we say, God, I'm going to stand in the gap for physical needs, for those who fall between the cracks for spiritual needs, for the need for connection and community. And so is there someone who is in your path and you say, God, that's, that's the person who I could give practical help now. We do this as a church as well. That uh, leads to uh, number three is intentional Generosity. Oftentimes what happens is there's a, we'll respond, we'll see a need and we'll uh, write a check, we'll do something like that. But God wants us to be active and intentional just in our compassion as that's often uh, called to meet physical needs. Now as a church, we've been in an experiment for, uh, we're coming up on the end of it this winter where we've said, you know what, we're not going to take special offerings anymore. We're not going to do that. We want to teach you to be biblically faithful and uh, put God first in your giving and uh, give your best to him. And then we'll take that because we don't want money to be an issue when people come every weekend. There's three different offerings and you're being hit up in the lobby. Uh, and we'll say, God, we want to use that to meet the real needs. And I've got to tell you, is that uh, for so far, for the first year and a half, uh, you've been doing a great job. And for those of you who are doing that, I just want to say way to go. We've taken some steps of faith, uh, not only church-wise, in our, in our 
uh, church in the various campuses and uh, but also in our community and our world uh, but but it's about being intentional in the book of malachi we read this uh, it says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse meaning the place of worship test me in this says the lord almighty and see if i will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Sort of a crazy verse in the Bible where it says, uh, go ahead and take that step. God is saying, see if I will not be your provider. Uh, don't let fear make your decision. And then there's also an inviting community that uh, part of compassion is making sure that no one stands alone. Mother Teresa, who served the poorest of the poor uh, her whole life, uh, said this, and I, I thought it's pretty powerful. She says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Isn't that a, a powerful statement from someone who spent most of her life meeting the physical needs of the poor? And so part of compassion for us is looking for people who feel like they're on the outside. I've uh, had conversations this year alone with several people who they were at the point of taking their own life and they just said, I just felt like there was no one to, to talk to. And that one of the greatest things we can do as individuals and as a church is have a community that's inviting and, and saying, you're welcome no matter what your uh, struggle is. It's, in the Bible, uh, the nation of Israel, the way it related to other nations was different. And usually there, people would believe there would be like a tribal god, the god of the Amorites or something like that, uh, and the god of the Hittites. But in the scriptures, it's much different because there's always an invitation to those who are on the outside. In the book of Isaiah, uh, we read this. It said, the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and he will settle them in their own land. And it says, foreigners will join them and unite with the descendants of Jacob. And that, when you read it in that cultural context, the idea is that God would include people who aren't like us, who aren't us. It's amazing. Look at the next uh, verse there. Uh, it says this in Isaiah 56, 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Now, uh, there it's talking about other nations, but we can look at it as just the people that we meet as we uh, are going through life. I was talking to someone uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were saying that they were in the laundry room at uh, the apartment complex that they were at, and uh, someone invited them uh, to church. And uh, this, this person's been coming back, and uh, not only did they say, hey, there's a church out there, it's called Timberlake, uh, MapQuest is really good if you need directions. They, they said, hey, why don't you come with me? And this person, first time ever in a Christian church, comes from, actually is from a foreign country, and uh, it just, what her experience 
created a thirst for more. And we see that as we do that, uh, what we really give is a real hope. When life gets tough, one of the main things we tend to lose is perspective. And we grasp at solutions that really don't work. And it's interesting uh, that in the books of the Old Testament, there's this constant picture of a preferred future. Uh, it says in Zephaniah, this is just one of many uh, examples, the Lord their God will care for them and he will restore their fortunes. And oftentimes when God is speaking through the prophets of the Old Testament, he'll say, hey, this terrible thing is going to happen because of what you've done. And then he'll, he'll describe a, a picture of what life will be like on the other side. Sometimes consequences would take place, natural consequences. God just removed his hand of protection. But there's always God saying, I will come back and I will care for you and you can have a real hope. And as I was thinking about that, that for, for us today, and I'm not talking about compassion and the love mercy goal to close the intention and action gap, but for some of us, it's not so much about uh, the compassion that we share. It's our need right now. We say, you know, I feel like I'm on the outside. I feel like I've come to the end of my rope. And know that, that God's ultimate intention is to extend his compassion and his grace to you. In fact, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to receive communion together. Because communion, I know this is confusing for some of you, you're saying, don't you do communion like once every series? I did it twice this series. Sue me. <laughs> uh, but I just thought it would be ultimately uh, appropriate to remember the extent that Jesus went to for us. That he laid down his life, his broken body, and his shed blood. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.